Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who has conversations with the guy running to be my alderman about prayer. Also, didn't you and him have a conversation about his mom and thanking God? Uh, his dad, yeah. Lots of lots of conversations about God. I think that's what my personality is in his head is just that, which is not that far off. Wait, has Andre listened to the podcast? Uh, no, he said he's planning to after He's after very busy right now running for Alderman. Yeah, we're in the runoff. That's Yay, great. everybody. <laughs> that's so good. Andre, I hope that someday you listen to this podcast and know that we like you a lot. <laughs> I mean, he sees me every day. He knows I at least like him a little bit. Yeah, but he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So it's been too long since we've recorded, and I'm really excited. What are we talking about today? Well, I actually had something that I wanted to say before we got started on on the topic. This week, there was a special session of the United Methodist General Conference. It oh, was, I was wondering if we were going to talk about this. Yeah, I, I wanted to address it. Uh, it just happened in St. Louis. They voted in favor of something called the traditional plan. This plan keeps a ban on the officiating or hosting of same-sex marriages and also a ban on ordaining LGBTQ ministers. These were already banned, but it is keeping these. And there was a chance they were going to overturn them, right? There was. There were multiple other options that it could have been. Uh, Another part of this plan is it strengthens penalties on ministers who go against the bans. That's Um, not good. So that is a change. I know a lot of people were very deeply hurt by this decision, so I wanted to specifically say, I stand with you, my LGBTQ siblings, Methodist and otherwise. You're deeply loved by so many people here on earth and by God. And I know how horrible it can feel when the church hurts you, but I really just want you to remember the church is not God. It's made up of humans, and sometimes we get it wrong. And God loves you and affirms you just as you are. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I, it's important to me. I, I love the church, but the people are what's really most important. Yeah. And we're thinking of everyone. Obviously, this wasn't the decision we were hoping for. But know that we're thinking of you and we love you all. Yeah, and I'm told that there is still some hope for better things to come from the United Methodist Church at the regular general conference, because this was just a special session. Oh, cool. Well, then, yeah, we'll definitely keep paying attention to what's happening there with the Methodists. We will. And now we're going to do a hard pivot from that heavy beginning. I was going to say, please tell me it's something really light. <laughs> <laughs> kind of light. It's a um, it's another Spot the Differences episode. Ooh, I'm excited. We, it's been a while since we did one. Our first one was on Rites of Initiation. It was. For anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, that means that we're looking at a single topic and how it's treated differently across different denominations of Christianity. So we're focused more on breadth rather than depth of this topic. And the topic is communion. Oh, cool. Yeah, also called Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, or just sacrament by some people. And I know there's a lot of very subtle differences in a lot of things, so this is really interesting. There are, yeah. I know that there are differences. I couldn't tell you what most of them are. (laughs) Something, something blood, something, something not blood. We're actually not going to talk a lot about the theology behind it. We're going to save that for another time. But just what they do in church, like what the practice is? Exactly, yeah. We're going to talk about the nuts and bolts. Four main questions. Who gets to have it? How often do they get it? What are they getting? And how do they get it? Great. Into it. Where are we starting? 
We're going to start with the Roman Catholics. Great. Always a good baseline for us here at Sunday School. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some people that would argue I should start with Orthodox, but you know what? I grew up Roman Catholic, so here we are. We have exactly (laughs) one kind of bias, and it's pretty much that. (laughs) And we'll own that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, but we're learning, and we're not going to exclude it. We'll get there. Oh yeah, they're next up. So, Roman Catholics, there is communion. There is, yes. So, first question, who gets it? Can I guess? Uh, Sure. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It just feels like a quiz now. I didn't mean it to be, but it can. (laughs) I'm intrigued. Well, I know that there's a first communion. We talked about it in Rites of Initiation. Right. Do you remember when that happens? I want to say eight years old? You're right. Oh my god, I remember things from, you know, 12 episodes ago. Look at that. You're learning. To get communion in the Catholic Church, you have to be Catholic. Great. And have received your first communion. Usually happens at eight years old. There's also a couple other requirements. You are supposed to have fasted for at least an hour. Okay. So no breakfast before church? Yes. Not everybody does that. Also, church is about an hour. (laughs) So you can kind of get away with just... Do they do it at the end of church? Yeah, it's at the end. Okay. I don't know where it happens in church. (laughs) But yeah, a lot of people just like get away with as long as you're not eating during mass. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so don't bring snacks. Yeah, but like when I was little, I got like a little bag of Cheerios before I had my first communion. I was eating Cheerios in the pew. Adorable. Oh yeah. Also important that you have not committed a grave sin without having gone to confession. Okay, so you can't have things weighing on your spiritual conscience or your actual conscience for that matter. I Don't know that there's a difference. I just said spiritual, so I figured I had to clarify because it felt too specific. Sure. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, neither of those. Got it. This is why technically divorced people are not supposed to take communion. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, because like being divorced and remarried is technically a, a grave sin. But even if you've gone to confession and done whatever the priest says? So... You can go to confession, but you're still doing it. If you're divorced and remarried, you're still... It's just like you're you're constantly re-upping that particular sin? Pretty much, yeah. Weird. We'll have to talk about confession and that whole situation in a later episode. Oh yeah, that'll definitely come up at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, weird. Okay, so divorced people, technically not allowed. Yeah. Like, but I'm sure no one enforces that. No, it doesn't really get enforced most places. Um, I think if you're in a church where everybody knows each other and it's small and conservative, it might get enforced there. But honestly, nobody's really paying that much attention. But if you are not receiving communion, you can go up with your arms crossed over your chest and they'll give you a blessing. There you go. Well, they're supposed to, but there are some liturgical ministers who do not know what it means if you go with your arms crossed and Awkward. just be confused. Now, are there other circumstances in which someone who normally receives communion would do that instead? Like, say, I'm very ill and I don't want to drink from the communion cup because I don't want to give everyone the flu? You could do that. Or uh, like, I'm tragically afraid of the flu and I don't want to touch things that belong to other people? You could do that. You can also just take the bread. You don't have to do both. Okay. I don't know. I feel like germaphobes are a thing. Oh yeah, that's absolutely a thing. (laughs) Communion feels like a germ-sharing experience in a way that some people might not be comfortable with. Yeah, but a lot of people who are specifically worried about germs, they'll just take the bread. Cool. But yeah, other than divorce, like, there are plenty of other, like, if you feel like you have committed a sin and have not confessed it for any reason, you can either just stay in the pew or you can go up with your arms crossed. Or, like, if you're not a Catholic and you want to go up for a blessing, you can go up with your arms crossed. 
So that's a thing I can do if you ever make me go to church with you. Slash convince me to go to church with you. Yeah. Also a thing that like technically I should start doing. It's unclear what the Catholics think of me at this point. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Brian exists in a nebulous gray area. It's a fun fact of life. Yeah, I'm like somewhere between Catholic and Episcopalian. It's unclear. Yeah. I mean, your bookshelf sort of reads that way. I don't know. Where did that great book with a title about Jesus was an Episcopalian go? Oh, it's on there. It's it's definitely there. Yeah, but you've reorganized your bookshelf since the last time we were here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's weird that I know that. Oh, there it is. I found it. It's not important. <laughs> I have a lot of religious books. It's fine. It's true. I can attest. <laughs> all right. What's our next question? I forgot. <laughs> we went through all of the reasons why you can or cannot receive communion. Now we're talking about how often. In order for it to count as a Catholic Mass, instead of just like a prayer service, there has to be a celebration of the Eucharist. And Catholics celebrate Mass 364 days a year. What's the one you don't? I told you this. I know, and now I'm trying to remember. (laughs) It's an easy one to remember, and I don't know. Is it Christmas? No, it's not Christmas. Is it Easter? No, it's not. Is it? It's a Saturday. Not not Saturday like the day of the week, but like it's the more... Saturday before Easter. No, it's not not like a Saturday day of the week, like a sad like more sad day, sadder. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't. It's, I don't... it's Good Friday. Okay, I don't remember which of the ones is the one where we actually commemorate Jesus getting crucified, yeah. but it's that one, right? Yeah, because Jesus died and is like busy fighting demons in hell or something, so he can't go into some bread. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's playing it very loose with the theology. I mean, Sunday School for Heathens, sometimes we play loose with the theology. Sorry to the at least one theologian I know actually listens to the show. You know who you are. We can do theology of the Eucharist a different time, but that's so much to get into. Yeah, we're, we're going for breadth, not depth today. You can actually still get communion on Good Friday, but it will have been consecrated the day before. Ah, they had Jesus stop by early in advance. Yeah, and it's on that day, it's uh, just bread because it's easier to just reserve the bread than it is to... Open containers and things. Yeah, pretty much. Fair. There can also be multiple times during the day where the same priest will say Mass. You could go to more than one of these Masses if you wanted to and get communion more than once in one day. But, like, most people don't. I feel like that makes sense. But you could, and it doesn't negate any of the communions past, present, or future. Right, yeah, you're allowed. Okay. (laughs) If you want. So next question is, what are you actually getting? What is your snack during Mass? Okay. (laughs) Usually in a Catholic church, it'll be the little wafer. Yeah, they're like round. Yeah, flat, circle. And then usually red wine for the blood. Okay. And it can be actual bread, but it's only allowed to be unleavened bread. It must include some kind of wheat and no sweetener. The gluten-free hosts that are offered, hosts are with a little piece of bread as well. They technically contain a little bit of wheat because they have to to count for the Catholics. The wheat is where the Jesus is? I guess it's important that it's wheat. Okay, but they do make a gluten-free version. The gluten-free version is technically low gluten. It's less than 20 parts per million wheat. Okay, but if you are highly sensitive to gluten, you could have a host-related issue. Right, you should not take it. You should just... Drink the wine. Mm -hmm. Also, neither of us are medical professionals. None of this is medical advice or dietary advice. (laughs) Thank you for the disclaimer. Just saying. And then also on the wine side, there's this stuff called mustum. Okay. Which is grape juice where fermentation has started, but then it gets suspended. And it's like 1% ABV. 
Okay. So if you're dealing with not consuming alcohol for any reason. Right. Yeah, if like for a medication or addiction reason, something like that. There or is pregnancy. That or pregnancy. Though I think most pregnant women probably just take a sip of wine. I'm sure they do. Other requirements for the wine is it must be pure grape juice that has been fermented. It's not allowed to have gone bad, which like I don't know I why mean, they have to specify that. Better safe than sorry. <laughs> and you're not allowed to mix water in it outside of mass. During the mass, water gets mixed in. Okay, but then you have to do that live in front of the audience? Basically, you're just not introducing anything other than grapes in it. Okay. You're allowed to have trace amounts of sulfites because just most That's how wine, wine works. does. And interestingly enough, for Catholics, it can be red or white. <laughs> Interesting. White blood. Yeah. Intriguing thing. <laughs> Anakin likes to refer to that as plasma. Ah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, and it can be sweet or dry. The church does not care. All right, so the last section for the Roman Catholics is how do people actually get communion? Yeah, I've never watched anyone get communion before except on TV, and I don't know if that's real. Probably the same. You get in a line, go out of your pew, down the center aisle, or if there's a bunch mm-hmm. of people, down multiple different aisles. Okay. And there'll be someone with the bread at the front. Usually a priest is doing the bread and then other people are doing wine. Or if you have multiple bread stations, you'll have other people doing that. Okay. But the uh, priest takes care of the wine. The Anybody can help bread. with the... Okay. Priest has bread. Anyone can help with wine? Yeah. Technically, it's supposed to be all priests and deacons who do it and then people who are not ordained are extraordinary ministers of communion, but I've never been at a mass where everyone giving out communion has been ordained. I just really like the phrase extraordinary ministers of communion. I feel like that's a superhero troop that needs to exist. (laughs) (laughs) That would be such a boring group of superheroes. (laughs) But they could also do emergency (laughs) baptisms. Yeah, only in emergencies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They have very limited power. Very limited power, <laughs> but really good merch. Sure. <laughs> Whatever. So you go up to the person with the bread. Okay. And you bow, and they will say, the body of Christ, you respond, amen. Great. And you can either have your hands out in front of you, or you can just kind of like tilt your head back. If you have your hands out in front of you, they'll put the host in your hand, and then you put it in your mouth. If you have your mouth open... They'll just put it in your mouth like a little baby bird? <laughs> Like, you, like, place it on the tongue. You don't, like, drop it in. Okay. (laughs) And then you eat it, and then you move to the line for the wine, and then you bow again. They say, the blood of Christ. You say, amen. They'll hand you the cup. You take a sip, and then you go back to your pew. Okay. I have questions. (laughs) Okay. You're allowed to chew and swallow before you take the wine. There's not rules? I think you're technically not supposed to chew it. For a long time, it was just bread. Like... Only the priest did the wine and, like, all of the people just got bread. And so I know back then it was definitely you were discouraged from chewing. You were supposed to just let it, like, dissolve. I mean, are they dissolvy? Kind of dissolvy. Yeah, they're very thin. They look like Necco wafers. That's, yeah, pretty close to but that. But are, are they sweet? No. They're bland. They're pretty bland. They they're taste s- like nothing. <laughs> they're so bland that we one time... So you can get rectangle versions that are made of the same thing that have, like, Christmas scenes printed on them. Okay. At that point, it just looks like you're taking little tabs of acid. I mean, they're bigger than that. They're like okay. postcard size. And you like break them up. It's a tradition in some churches. Okay. We gave a How piece cutesy. to my, my dog and he didn't like it. <laughs> and he, it was like stuck on his tongue and he was trying to spit it out. He okay. did not think it was tasty. So they are gluey. 
Yeah, they're not dog approved. <laughs> not dog approved. <laughs> and not gluten free. And not gluten free. Even if they tell you they are, they're not. They have a little bit of gluten. <laughs> I remember you telling me about this whole ordeal. <laughs> it's been a big argument lately. But anyway, that's one way to do communion. The other way is some churches will do it at the altar rail. Okay. Which is just like a waist height railing. You go up and you kneel in front of it. Okay. And there's probably like half a dozen to ten people all kneeling in a row in front of this rail. And the communion ministers go person to person and first give you the bread and then give you the wine while you're kneeling at the rail. Cool. Now, is the first row of pew seats, like, against the altar rail? Or is there, like, enough space there? No, there's a lot of space. Okay. Yeah, the rail is, like, right in front of the altar. Okay. Well, that's Catholics. Yeah, and the altar rail thing is a little more old school. Not Mm -hmm. as many people do it anymore. I can't decide if it's more time efficient or less time efficient. I think it's less time efficient. Because people go up and then have to, you have to wait for them to clear. You're doing a continuous line if you're doing it the other way. That makes sense. Um, Catholics are known for being very efficient with their communion. That's fair. Get them in and out. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we have Orthodox Christians. All right. First question is, what do you have to do? Yeah, who gets it? Who gets it? You have to be a member of one of the canonical Orthodox churches. So like American, Greek, Serbian, Orthodox as examples. Okay. But they can all go to each other. You have to fast from midnight on or okay. the night before. Longer fasting. Harder yeah. on the children. Yes, longer fasting. Some jurisdictions will require you to go to confession weekly. Others just require that you have gone recently without spelling out what that means. But, like, again, you shouldn't have some horrible Mm. grave sin on your conscience. Yeah. Spiritual Um, or otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the the two consciences are. (laughs) (laughs) Things Um. I invented. (laughs) There's 10 prayers that you have to say sometime before you actually go up to receive communion. Are they already in the service? Or are they like extra prayers? I believe they're extra prayers. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder if you like find ways in the the service to like squeeze them in in between. Or do you have to like do them before you get to church? I have so many questions. That particular question, you will have to ask your aunt. Aunt Nancy, I want an email. (laughs) Talk to me about these prayers. (laughs) You're also supposed to show up on time. It's reasonable. Yeah. I like that rule. <laughs> yeah, if you're late, you're not supposed to take communion. It's a sin weighing on your conscience. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You're not supposed to take communion unless, like, it's not your fault. Yeah. Something bad has happened. Actual acts of God. Yeah, exactly. But I guess people do it anyway, if they, even if they show up late. Okay. Whatever. And then, how often do you get it? The Orthodox version of what the Catholics call Mass is Divine Liturgy. Okay. There's a divine liturgy every day except weekdays during Lent. All right. Though there's a special version that's called the Liturgy of the Pre-Sanctified Gifts that you can do during those days. And that works kind of the same way that Good Friday does for the Catholics. So there's pre-consecrated stuff. Right. You just have to have done it the Sunday before. Yeah. You do some, like, mass consecrating on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Mass not in the Catholic sense. Mass in the, like... (laughs) Volume sense. Exactly, yes. Big old wall of bread. Great. (laughs) The Divine Liturgy also cannot be served on the same altar more than once a day, or by the same priest more than once a day. Interesting. Yeah. So does that mean everyone goes to church at the same time, or does that mean there's multiple altars? Both, depending on where you are. Great. Smaller churches will just do one service. And everyone's gotta be there. Yeah, really big ones will have, like, side chapels 
where there are separate altars and they can do more than one service. So, like, if you come at 9 a.m., you're going to this altar, and if you're coming at 10 a.m., you're going to this altar, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's my understanding of it. You have to have enough priests for right each altar. Which could get tricky logistically. <laughs> I could imagine. There's a schedule that has to get made there somehow. Oh, yeah. Orthodox churches, they use leavened bread for the body and wine for the blood. With the exception of the Armenian Orthodox Church, because they see leaven as symbolic of sin. Oh. So theirs is unleavened. No yeast. Exactly. Yeast is sin. There's references to that in the Bible, like throwing out the old leaven. Somebody remind me to tweet that meme about yeast and God and God rising because it's my favorite Catholic meme that I don't really understand, but I think is great. Mostly because it's a joke about bread. I you know the one I'm talking about. No, I don't. <laughs> but I'll find it. I'll find we're it. We're not going to dwell on. I'll that. tweet it. It's great. I love it. <laughs> but the wine in the Orthodox churches is specifically supposed to be red. No plasma in the Orthodox church. Got it. Sweet or dry? Yeah, I don't think there's a preference on flavor. I think it can be whatever <laughs> feels good. Yeah, whatever's cheap at Costco. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I know that. Th- Different churches have feelings about getting it from a winery that is specifically for church because then they are certified this is only grapes. That's real. I could see that being a thing. That was a question I sort of had is where do you get your wine from? Is there like a church distributor or do you go to Costco? There are four official church wineries in the United States. Okay. My church uses two buck chuck. I love that. Episcopalians. Yeah, it's great. If we have time, if we're not running super long, I can tell you guys a fun story about Tubuk Chuck. But we're going to keep moving. Okay. I like that. (laughs) The bread for the Orthodox Church must only contain wheat flour, salt, water, yeast. Which Mm. is standard bread. Yeah, just normal bread. But it's not the little papery wafers then because it's got yeast in it. It's like soft and fluffy. Right. It is more what you think of as bread. It looks more like bread and less like tabs of acid. Yes. Or Necco wafers. Either, yes. (laughs) The wine must be red wine, only made of grapes. And the priest will eat the bread and drink the wine separately, but everybody else, the bread gets dumped into the chalice of wine. I'm making a face. And it's soaked in it. Like, one chalice, you dip your bread in and then you put it in your mouth? Or everyone gets a little cup of wine and then you put your bread in it and then you take it like a shot? There is one cup of wine. Okay. And a bunch of pieces of bread get put in it. That means that, like, if you're last in that group, you get really soggy bread. No, that's... Let me explain a little bit more. Okay, because I'm making a lot of sad faces. We'll start from the beginning for how you get communion at an Orthodox church. Okay. You cross your arms over your chest like you would if you were not receiving communion in a Catholic church. Got it. You go up to the priest, and the priest will say your name and a blessing. If they don't know your name, do you have to whisper it to them first? Yes. Great. (laughs) Or in the case of my grandma's Byzantine Catholic Church, which we'll get to that, they do a similar thing. My uncle was the altar server and stood next to the priest and would just whisper everybody's name in the priest's ear. I love that. (laughs) So the priest says the name and the blessing, and then he has a little spoon that he puts in the cup and he scoops out a little piece of bread that's been soaked in the wine and he drops it in your mouth. But that does mean that if you are at the back of the line... Your bread has been sitting in wine for longer than other people's bread and might just be total mush. I mean, it's all, like, kind of mushy. It's not, like, gonna be significantly soggier over the course of the 
15 minutes at most that it takes to do all of this. This just feels like a soggy cereal problem, though. No, it doesn't get that much soggier, I promise you. Okay. It just feels weird, but I'm not judging anyone. (laughs) I just, maybe not my preferred method of consuming bread and drinking wine. It's especially nerve-wracking when your mom is standing behind you, whispering in your ear, don't let the spoon touch your tongue. Don't let the spoon touch your tongue. Oh my god. (laughs) I know, mom! (laughs) Also, you don't have control over that. Someone else is wielding the spoon! And he's old and has shaky hands. Yeah. (laughs) That really feels like you just have to open your mouth and they feed you like a little baby bird. That one, yes, is more like that. (laughs) Okay. So that's how. Yes. And who. And what. Right? We done three yeah, and four? No, we, we did all four of them. Okay. We did when, too. Oh, we did when. But there's a little bit more to the how, because it's orthodox. They're very complicated. And I don't mean that as a negative. I love it. <laughs> Ryan likes an elaborate ritual. Yeah. My tattoo is a Byzantine cross. I'm all about elaborate. Then, in some orthodox churches, particularly the ones with Russian roots, the person will go to a table at the back of the church and eat a piece of unconsecrated bread and drink a sip of unconsecrated wine. And this is so you don't accidentally spit out Jesus or get him caught in your teeth. You have a chaser? Basically. Is that one at least not like bread dipped in wine, soggy and gross? Those are both separate. I like that. And if you want, and you're an Orthodox Christian, you can take a piece of this unconsecrated bread back to the people who didn't receive communion. Just as a little gift. Oh, that's so sweet! (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. Okay, so that's that's Orthodox. Next, I'm going to talk about Eastern Catholics, who I've been incorrectly referring to as Byzantine Catholics, but Byzantine is actually a subgroup that doesn't include everyone who celebrates a non-Latin rite. Okay. So that's a small distinction. Byzantines make up the biggest portion of that, but they're not all of it. Who can receive communion in the Eastern Catholic churches? Same as Roman Catholics. Take first communion, be Catholic. Yeah. I mean, they get first communion earlier. Oh, okay. They do it like the Orthodox, where they give communion to babies. All right. As long as you're following those rules, you're good. They play nice with the Roman Catholics. The frequency is kind of a blend of Roman Catholic and Orthodox. Like Orthodox, there's no divine liturgy on weekdays during Lent. Okay. But like Roman Catholics, you can have multiple services in one day. All right. So a nice little mix and match there. Yeah. And then... The blood is wine, the body is bread. Most Eastern churches use leavened bread, but Armenian Catholics, like Armenian Orthodox... Still no yeast. yeast still no say. yeast. They usually use the wafers, actually. Okay. Armenian Catholic. Um, that makes sense. It's probably easier than whatever other unleavened bread options you have available to you. Yeah, a lot of the time people will make it if they're doing unleavened okay. bread. It can be a, just a flat loaf of bread that kind of looks like bread. Yeah, it just can't have yeast in it. Yeah. So it's just dough. But cooked. I mean, yeah. It's not very interesting. I mean, none of it's tasty. Fair. As far as I can tell, the rules for wine are the same as the Roman Catholic Church. While it's rare to see white wine in a Roman Catholic Church, it would be even more rare to see it in an Eastern Catholic Church. Okay. And then the actual procedure for receiving communion. Again, very similar to Orthodox. Go up with your arms crossed. Priest will drop the wine-soaked bread in your mouth. Though Armenians, again, a little different. Mm -hmm. Uh, You go up, you genuflect instead of bowing, like in the roaming tradition. What does that mean? Genuflect, uh, you get down on one knee and cross yourself. Okay. So you come up with your arms crossed. Then you get down on one knee and you cross yourself, but not like arms like... I I don't think you would go up with your arms crossed if you're going down to genuflect. I think those are separate. All right. You genuflect. Yeah, and then the priest dips the wafer into the wine and then places it on your tongue. 
Okay. I like dipping better. Yeah. Less soggy. <laughs> I You're way more concerned about this than you need to be. I have a lot of texture feelings. <laughs> We're edging closer to food, mm-hmm. so my feelings get more opinionated. Sure. Fine. I have more feelings about food than I do about ritual. Great. The dipping is called intinction. Okay, it's a good word. It is a good word. I, I like it. it. The Melkite Catholic Church, which is another branch within the Eastern Church, they also do intinction, but with leavened bread. Okay. It's technically up to the bishop if intinction is allowed in Roman Catholic churches. It just depends on the diocese. I know here it's not allowed, but I've definitely seen people do it anyway. Interesting. What's the benefit of intinction versus not? Just like you don't put everyone's lips all over the cup? Yes. It's a germ thing. That's the reason that a lot of people at the Catholic church I went to in Evanston did it. That's fair. Do they ever do just like individual tiny Dixie cups of wine? We will get to those people. Oh, great! <laughs> we will get to those people tonight. All of you will get to those people next week. Oh, great. I figured out what's happening here. We're doing two episodes tonight because tonight's a two-parter. It is absolutely a two-parter. Actually, I lied just now. Not about the two-parter thing, but about the little cups. Oh, good. Dixie Cup! I forgot. We are talking about one little cup group tonight. And that group is the Mormons. Oh, great. One more group tonight. One more group. And what a group they are. Anyone can receive communion. Okay. They call it sacrament, though. Okay. They state pretty specifically that it's meant for Mormons to renew their baptismal promises. All right. So it is for us, but you can also have it. Okay. They're share nicely with yeah. us. <laughs> They're like, you don't really get it, but you can have it. It like doesn't do anything for you, <laughs> but I guess you can do it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and they offer sacrament every Sunday. And for them, the body is bread and the blood is water. Okay. Oh, because they don't drink. Yeah. They that's have an really alcohol thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there are specific rules for the bread. Not that I could find anywhere. But sources mentioned white bread specifically because they liked the imagery of it being pure and white. Okay. So probably with yeast then. Oh, yeah. Usually I would say with yeast and it's in slices. Okay. As opposed to cubes. A lot of churches will start with a, a whole loaf and then the priest will break the loaf. Oh, interesting. In my mind, if you're using leavened bread, it's like you've taken a loaf and you've cubed it like you're making stuffing or bread pudding. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get is a little half inch by half inch square. Usually don't cut it up ahead of time. In pretty much any tradition, usually you will have a, like a small circle loaf mm-hmm. and the priest will tear it. Oh, cool. That was a thing I never would have imagined. So yeah. good to know. Mormons receive communion pretty differently than what we've talked about so far. All right. There are two trays. Each are covered with a white cloth, and one of the trays has bread, the other has water. The cover of the bread tray is removed, and then the person who's leading the service breaks the bread into little bite-sized pieces. Okay, so not everyone's getting a whole slice of white bread. Not everyone's getting a whole slice of white bread. That is more efficient. Yes. As I was reading this the first time through, when they said it was sliced, I was like, does everybody get a whole slice? I don't remember that. (laughs) And then the tray is passed around through the pews, and you take a piece off. Oh, so nobody gets up. Yep, you're all sitting in your pew. After the tray goes all the way around, it goes back up to the front, gets recovered. Okay, covering seems to be important here. Yeah, it's a reverence thing, I think. Sure, that makes sense. And then the second tray is uncovered, and it has lots of little cups of water. And that tray is passed around, and everyone drinks their little shot glass of water. Good. Puts them back on the tray, and then it gets covered again and goes back up. Cool. It's very efficient. Oh, yeah. It's very good. That one is probably as efficient as the continuous line. Sure. Now, here's a question, and maybe you don't know the answer. 
is there somebody talking while all this is happening? Because it inevitably takes time. And I can imagine if you're all getting up and getting out of line, there's no need to like be speaking over this process. But if everyone's sitting in their seats, is someone praying or like reading or generally there's, talking? Is there entertainment? music. Oh, okay, music. There's usually a hymn or just instrumental piano music are kind of the options. And that's true in any tradition. During the Eucharist, while people are going up or sitting down or whatever, there's pretty much always some kind of music playing. That makes sense. Gives it a nice little ambiance. Yeah. And singing a hymn is another form of prayer. There you go. It gives you something to sort of calm your mind for the experience you're having. Sure. Something like that. I don't know. That's where we're going to stop for tonight. Great. Part of the reason I picked those are because they are very spelled out in their practices. There's a lot more variation in the others. Next week, we'll talk about mainline Protestants and evangelicals. Sweet. Well, then let's take a break and then we'll have some fun. Sounds good. And we're back. And now it is time for the patronage pop quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they're the patron of. And I'm really excited because I've been on a roll. Yeah, and I think... Even with the trick ones, Brian. I mean, I gave you the trick one. Like, I, I didn't... That's true. <laughs> I didn't, like, discount that because she didn't have any. I We're still petitioning to get Hildegard something to be the patron of. Oh, man. I now follow a Hildegard bot on Twitter, and I'm really excited about oh, it. Oh, man. Can you retweet that on the Sunday School account? <laughs> She's fun. <laughs> it's just out-of-context quotes of hers. It's wonderful. How charming. All right, but who's our saint this week? This week, we've got St. Martin de Porres. Okay. He was born in 1579 in Lima, Peru. Ooh. He was the illegitimate son of a Spanish nobleman named Juan and a freed black slave named Ana Velasquez. He grew up in poverty working for a local surgeon barber who taught him how to care for the sick. At the age of 11, he became a servant in the Holy Rosary Dominican Priory. He was promoted to almoner, which is person who gets alms, not anything to do with almonds. Okay. But <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Yeah, we've talked about that before, but I always feel the need to clarify because my mind always goes to almonds. That's fair. And he was able to beg for more than $2,000 a week to support the sick and the poor. Wow. Which, it's the 16th century. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Is that... In 16th century money, or is that converted to current money? Either way, it's impressive, but I'm curious. I do not know. I'm impressed either way. I want to pretend like it's in 16th century money, because it's really, really impressive. That was what I was thinking, but I could be I think it could easily be either way. He was eventually placed in charge of the Dominican infirmary. He got promoted again. And he became known for his tender care of the sick and for his spectacular cures. So while he was working on this, it was a Dominican role that a black man could not be accepted into the order. But because he was so impressive, his superiors decided to let him become a brother anyway. That's so sweet. 1603. I mean, sweet, but not... I mean, it sucks that the rule existed in the first place. Yeah, also they did not let him become a priest. Oh. They let him become a brother, which is different. You're not ordained if you're a brother, but you're part of the group. You say vows. Okay. I guess I didn't realize the distinction there. Yeah. So, bummer. But... So, like, kind of cool, but also a little sad. During his time with the Dominicans, he established an orphanage and a children's hospital for the poor. He also set up an animal shelter where he nursed stray cats and dogs back to health. My heart. He's a good dude. I like this guy a lot. (laughs) He lived a very austere lifestyle, never eating meat, 
frequently fasting, and he spent a lot of time in prayer. There are many miracles that are attributed to him, including raising someone from the dead. Always a quality miracle. Oh yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. He was the first black saint from the Americas. Cool. So, Shannon, what is St. Martin the patron of? Is he the patron saint of something to do with alms? Almoners giving alms? Almonds? Not almonds. (laughs) Poor people. Sure. Close. Is he the patron saint of something to do with animals? He is the patron saint against rats, so not really. Not really. No. Okay. He is the patron saint of African Americans, against rats, barbers, biracial people, black people, for interracial justice, for social justice, hairstylists, hairdressers, hotel keepers, innkeepers, paupers, Peru, poor people, public education, public health, public schools, race relations, racial harmony, state schools, television, and World Youth Day 2019. Oh, cool. How timely. Yeah. Can we go back to state schools? Yeah. I just got to put a pin in that one. (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I don't know. Public schools and state schools. Sure. Working for the common good. He set up that hospital that was for I mean, I get it. It just makes me think that like, he is the patron saint of the University of Illinois and that Northwestern gets a different patron saint. We might. I don't know. I feel like our patron saint is John Wesley. Yeah, we gotta get into some weird Methodist situation there. (laughs) Formerly Methodist. (laughs) Go fighting Methodists. Yeah. Okay, what a cool guy. Yeah. I'm really glad he exists. Right? Yeah. Good dude. Alright, well, thank you all so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, go on iTunes, rate us, review us, tell us something cool you like about the show, tell your friends about how you like the show, even if they're not religious, even if you don't think this is maybe their jam, you never know who might secretly want to learn a lot about this stuff, like me. So tell your friends. I would really appreciate it. You can also tweet at us, at school for heathens You can email us your thoughts, your stories about awkward communion moments you've had, and maybe I'll read them on the show, at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I want to hear all your awkward communion stories oh i do have one awkward communion story um that was given to me in my research for this our friend quinn he once went to a catholic church with his friend and went up and took communion because he didn't know any better because no one told him oh and his friend's mom was pissed oh my god and he was never allowed to go to church with that family again amazing (laughs) i will say now that At some point, Brian is probably going to invite me to go to church. And at some point, I will probably accept. And no matter what denomination church we go to, no matter how many churches we go to, I will probably never accept communion because it just feels weird. Oh, my church is really nice about it, though. Yeah, even if you give communion to non-believers, I think at that point, like, if you've got unconsecrated bread, I like bread. (laughs) But that's about all I got for you. Fair enough. I just want to, like, across the board, not offend anyone. (laughs) You won't offend anybody. I do have one more thing to add before we end today. Special thanks to Nancy, Talar, JJ, Quinn, Katie, Jim, Megan, Samantha, Tyler, Jack, Nick, and Andrew for all of their help in giving me anecdotal information about their different denominations. Spot the Differences episodes are great because we get to ask all of our friends weird questions about religion. And by we, I mean Brian. I do. And, you know, that's not that different from just my life, but... Now it's more specific. <laughs> Our music is by Adam Griffin. Check out his website, alteringgravity.wordpress.com, for information about an upcoming show he's playing in Chicago. 
and our editing and logo are by David Griffin, who has a tattoo based on a 15th century book of necromantic spells. That's all we've got for today. Amen? Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.